Did the police find Devin's body? No, Mom, what do you mean? That picture, it, it's so disturbing. I think you should take it down. What picture? What are you talking about? The, the one Kenneth just posted on Instagram, I think? I don't, I don't think it's very respectful to be posting pictures of a dead body. Oh my, oh my god, Mom, I have to go. What the, what the fuck? What, what now? Are you Jessica O'Neill? Yeah, that's me. I'm gonna need you to step outside. It's about 2.30 in the morning. I just got back from the police department where I was interviewed for the last five and a half hours. They took the hard drives, they took my computer, they took everything of Kenneth's. They told me they're opening a murder investigation. Kenneth is their primary suspect. They're taking him into custody probably tomorrow or maybe the day after tomorrow. And for those of you who aren't following the Dead of the Night Instagram page, I should probably fill you in on what happened. Yesterday, there was a disturbing post from the Dead of the Night account. It was, it was a photograph of what looks like a body wrapped in several layers of clear plastic lying in the snow. A reverse image search shows this photo was not taken from anywhere else on the internet. I think the photograph is of Devin. I think she's dead. And the photo was posted by Kenneth. I don't know how he posted it. He's not supposed to have access to the internet while at the hospital, but, uh... I really, I really can't think right now. I need to go to sleep. I'll be back later. The photo was posted to the Dead of the Night Instagram account. The IP address corresponded to Kent's iPhone. We believe the photograph is of Devin post-mortem. She seems to have sustained life-threatening injuries. Um, the photo's blurry and there's snow on the ground and unfortunately the metadata for the photograph itself has been wiped so we don't know where the photograph was taken. That's all we know right now. To clarify, Devin's body has not been found and the police haven't released any information about the photograph yet or even verified if the photo is really Devin. I haven't been able to get in touch with Kenneth, who is still at the psychiatric hospital, to ask him how he got the photograph or how he posted it from a facility that is supposed to have taken away his access to his phone or internet. Every time I call him, the hospital says he's in group or not taking calls. So until I could get through to him, I was stuck working with what I could find out about Kenneth through friends or online. Looking back through Kenneth's Facebook page for the night of Devin's disappearance revealed several indications of his location on the day of Devin's disappearance. Kenneth posted a status update at 2.12 p.m. on February 9th that said, quote, nothing like catching up on some true crime during a long drive, end quote, with a link to a true crime podcast called Case Closed. Some of his earlier status updates indicated that he was in Colorado on a fact-finding mission, from what I could gather, he was trying to look for a case. A case to use for a true crime podcast he wanted to make called Dead of the Night. Yep, you fucking heard that right. Before Devin ever went missing, Kenneth was scouting out other cases looking for the perfect case to bring him podcast fame. I even had an IT friend of mine look into the website, our fucking website, deadofthenightpodcast.com. 
and found out that the domain had been registered on January 1st, 2019, a month before Devon went missing. So, Kenneth was scouting other cases, and that's what led him to drive the 14 hours to a little town in Teller County, Colorado, for a court hearing on February 8th. In the sleepy casino town of Cripple Creek, all eyes were on this tiny Teller County courtroom. As a former Idaho nurse admitted to tampering with evidence in the disappearance and murder of Kelsey Barrett. Kelsey Barrett was a 29-year-old Colorado mother who was last seen on Thanksgiving handing off her one-year-old child to her fiancé, a man named Patrick Frazee. Kelsey's mother was first to report her missing on December 2nd, 2018, and Kelsey's empty home was found with all her belongings inside and Thanksgiving food still sitting on the stove. When police searched Kelsey's residence, they found bloodstains around the apartment. Eventually, the truth would come to light that Patrick had attempted to kill his fiancée, Kelsey, on at least three occasions, and on Thanksgiving Day, he succeeded after beating her to death with a baseball bat inside her own apartment. Later, police would discover that Patrick was not the only person involved in Kelsey's murder. 31-year-old Crystal Lee is an Idaho nurse who had been having an affair with Patrick Frazee. Crystal Lee and Patrick had been having an on-again, off-again relationship for almost a decade. Patrick told Crystal Lee that his fiance Kelsey was a bad mother and attempted to solicit Crystal Lee to murder Kelsey, but Crystal Lee refused. That's when Patrick decided to kill Kelsey himself. He then asked Crystal Lee to drive from Idaho to Colorado to clean up the crime scene. Crystal complied, but refused to dispose of Kelsey's body. So, Patrick put Kelsey's body into a black bin and burned it himself. Crystal then took Kelsey's phone with her back to Idaho and disposed of it in a nearby town. The story doesn't end there. After Patrick's arrest, he even attempted to solicit others to kill key witnesses in his trial, including Crystal Lee. Patrick was found guilty of first-degree murder and received life in prison plus 167 years. Crystal Lee was given three years for tampering with evidence. Kelsey's remains have never been found. Kenneth told me that he drove out to Colorado for the Kelsey Barrett trial, but unfortunately no one would answer his phone calls or, you know, give him an interview, so he came back to Idaho because it seemed like he was pretty defeated. So, Kenneth drives to Colorado, attends a court hearing, and tries to secure some key witness interviews so he can use the Kelsey Barrett case for his podcast. But nobody will talk to him. The case is already being swamped by reporters who are all clamoring to get their own interviews, and at this point, nobody knows who Kenneth is or if he has any credibility at all. The next morning, he leaves Colorado early, apparently having given up on any hope. The drive back to Boise was 14 hours. Brett was able to discover that Kenneth had a hotel room rented in Cripple Creek from February 7th to February 13th, but that Kenneth checked out early the morning of February 9th. The front desk didn't keep a record of exactly what time, but it was before the housekeeping did their morning rounds at 9. The drive from Colorado to Boise was 14 hours which means Kenneth likely arrived into town anywhere from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. If Kenneth did have something to do with Devin's disappearance, that would mean he'd drive for 14 hours straight, or 16 hours if he met Devin up at Boiling Springs somehow, and yet had the energy to not only kill someone, but wrap their body in plastic and stash it somewhere. 
To me, the only way that somebody could have the energy to do all that would be if they're in a frenzied, manic state, perhaps feeling crazed by a recent rejection or failure, perhaps? I'm still waiting to find out more about the photo, but I just heard back from my skip tracer. You're not going to like this. Kenneth's bank accounts show four charges on the day of February 9th. The first three are all at gas stations between Idaho and Colorado. The last one is a restaurant in Boise. What time? 9.12 p.m. And what's the name of the restaurant? That is the part you're not gonna like. It's from the Cheesecake Factory. There's only one Cheesecake Factory in all of Idaho, which means that Kenneth and Devin ate at the same restaurant the same day that Devin disappeared. What the fuck? To be fair, Devin and Isaac paid their bill at 7.55 p.m. and left to make an 8.15 movie. Kenneth's bill isn't charged until 9.12 that same day, but anyone who's eaten at one of these restaurants knows that you have to be there for an hour or even two hours easily, so it's entirely possible that Kenneth arrived at the restaurant just as Devin was leaving. Did they see each other? Did they speak? Did Kenneth ask Devin to meet him that night? Maybe in secret? Maybe at a mountain hot springs? My mind was spinning. As for the night of February 9th, Kenneth's social media holds zero clues. I also looked into his posts the night of the impound lot fire, but his last post on social media was two days before the fire and wasn't helpful tracking down his whereabouts. I even knocked on the door of his dad's house in Emmett, where Kenneth had been living since he started working on the podcast full-time, but his dad wouldn't talk to me. That's when I started knocking on his neighbor's doors and noticed that his neighbor across the street had one of those doorbells that records video footage. The following clip is footage from a ring doorbell camera. No, 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 that's, that's not right. That's, that's, no, that's, stop moving, make it, make it stop moving. can't turn it off. How do you turn it off? She's not in there. No one talking about an alternate scenario. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to her. Shut up. Shut up. In the video footage, Kenneth is pacing around outside of his dad's Emmett home and muttering to himself. There's no one else around. Considering Kenneth's history with sleepwalking, it seems like this could be a sleepwalking episode. His face is hard to make out in the footage, but his eyes do appear lethargic and his movements feel erratic. Besides sleepwalking, it's hard not to consider that his strange behavior in this video could be attributed to some kind of manic or psychotic episode. It sounds like he's having a conversation with someone that only he can see. The video is disturbing, to say the least, especially considering that he gets into his car and drives away. The timestamp of Kenneth driving away was around 1.09 p.m., just a few hours before the fire at the impound lot. We watch the rest of the video, and Kenneth's car returns back to his dad's house around 5.20 a.m. Kenneth gets out of his car and walks inside, but doesn't say a word. Could Kenneth have set fire to the impound lot while in an altered mental state? <laughs> 
Hey, Maxine. Uh, thank you for joining me today. I know it's been a while since we last interviewed you, and a lot of new information has come out. Yeah, that's a bit of an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you processing everything? I mean, I'm still coming to terms with the fact that I didn't know Devin basically at all. <laughs> she had this entire fucking life hidden from me. I mean, it's complicated because I still love Devin more than anything. It's just, it's complicated. Can you tell me a little bit about Kenneth? Uh, like what? Well, when did Kenneth first approach you about the podcast? I mean... It was like right after she went missing. Uh, I mean, I obviously remembered him from high school. And at that time, I was just so relieved that someone was looking for Devin that I just overlooked that it was Kenneth. What do you mean that it was Kenneth? Was that a bad thing? Well, I knew he was responsible for fake bomb threats at school. I knew he wanted to be famous or whatever, but I guess I just overlooked it. It's hard to think clearly when you're in that situation, just grieving and desperate for answers. Kenneth swooped in. He told me he was going to help to do anything to find Devin and that he was there to help. You know, he just, he fucking fooled me. So what do you think happened? I think Kenneth murdered Devin. I mean... Mostly, I think he did it to make a podcast about it. He always wanted that, and he couldn't get access to any of the big cases, so he made his own fucking case. But then there's always this element of revenge, I guess. I mean, Devin rejected him. She slept with him and made it a secret. She was embarrassed by him. She didn't even tell me. So maybe this was his way of getting back at her. This morning, I received word that the Gem County Police arrested Kenneth. They are charging him with first-degree murder and second-degree arson. The police appear to be holding on to hopes that they are able to find Devin's body. His bail hearing won't be held for weeks or possibly even months, considering the current pandemic has pushed back most court hearings. However, I know Kenneth's family is not well off or even financially stable. Kenneth's dad doesn't own a home or any property that they could put up for sale or for a bail bondsman. Similar cases in Idaho have typically seen bail amounts between $150,000 to a million dollars or more. So Kenneth is likely going to await trial in custody. This is the beginning of a long process. Kenneth has already been calling me from the county jail on a daily basis. I haven't yet had the guts to face him, but I knew I had to talk to him eventually. This is a prepaid call from Kenneth Bailey, an inmate at the county correctional facility. All phone calls are subject to recording and monitoring. To decline this call, press 9 now and to accept this call, press 1 now. Thank you. Your call has been accepted. Hello? Hey, uh, <clears throat> hey, Kenneth, you, uh, you said you wanted to tell me something? Yes, yeah, um, I figured it all out. Figured what out? Uh, how to further involve me in this fucking web of lies? No, no, I, I know what happened to Devin. I think I'm starting to figure it out, too. I know about the bomb threat, 
about your trip to the Kelsey Barrett hearing. I know you ate at the same restaurant as Devin. That was just a coincidence. We weren't even there at the same time. Just stop. All I do here every single day is just think about this case. Think about all the evidence. I know that Devin is alive. I can prove it. Look, I don't have time to hear you. Just listen to me, okay? I just don't even know who you are. Everyone thinks that you fucking killed her. I had nothing to do with Devin's disappearance. I don't believe anything you fucking say, and honestly, I don't think we should be talking. Please, just listen to what I have to say. Just listen to me. Lay it all out, and then and then you never have to speak to me again, okay? It's fine. Okay. Devin is alive. She has to be alive. I know because of the cipher. What cipher? Remember the note that Brett and I found in her bedroom? It looked like it was written in another language. It wasn't another language. It was a cipher. Like the Zodiac Killer? Yes, yes. Except this one wasn't nearly as hard to crack. It's really simple, actually. To decode it, all you had to do is draw three tic-tac-toe boards, write the alphabet in each square, so A in the top left box, B in the top center box, C in the top right box, etc. Now, look at the slip of paper Devin wrote. The first symbol has three lines, like a square U. Now, look at your first tic-tac-toe box, the letter B is in the top center box, which, if you were to draw that box, looks like a square U. Just stop it. This is insane. The next symbol on Devon's cipher looks like the letter L, with two dots next to it. The two dots indicate that we use the third tic-tac-toe box. The L shape matches the top right corner of the tic-tac-toe box, which is where the letter U is. Stop. Just stop it. The next symbol is another U shape, but it has two dots, which means we use the third tic-tac-toe box. If we check the center top row, we find the letter T. So far, we have... B-U-T. Okay, so? I translated the whole cipher. It says, and I quote, But your death, it won't happen to you. It happens to your family and your friends. I pretend. Uh, unquote. What the fuck does that even mean? Don't you understand? It's song lyrics. It's from a song called I Always Want to Die Sometimes by a band called The 1975. Don't you get it? This is a breakthrough. Just look at the lyrics. But your death... It won't happen to you. It happens to your family and your friends. I pretend. She's literally saying it right there. She's pretending to be dead. Okay, what? No, okay, that's a huge stretch. Maybe she just liked the fucking song. Okay, maybe. But this clue is even bigger than the words. This proves that Devin was interested in ciphers and cryptology. So? So, remember how Garrett claimed that Devin was alive and communicating with him through these random Instagram accounts? What if she really was? What if she was using a cipher? The Instagram account Garrett told us about was called FJ6ZSZH8675309. Now, do you have a keyboard around you? Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm sitting on my laptop. Okay. Look at the keyboard. The first letter is F. Now, what is right above F on the keyboard? R. Right. The next one is J. Right above J on the keyboard is? U. Right. So we have R-U. The next symbol in the code is 6. There's nothing above the number 6 on a keyboard, so we go to the bottom of the keyboard. N. R-U-N. Kenneth. Z translates to A. S translates to W. Z to A again. H is Y. That spells R-U-N-A-W-A-Y. Runaway. Don't you get it? Evan was a runaway. This really doesn't fucking prove anything. Look, my dad called and read me the names of every single Instagram account that follows Garrett, and I found at least three other ciphers in these empty accounts that look like spam. 
WQR3M2Q4J. That one translates to safe and warm. Devin was telling Garrett that wherever she is, she's safe. She's in a warm climate. My bet is on Belize or somewhere in Central America. The next one is G74HQO3W, which means burn tapes. She literally told Garrett to burn the tapes that would make it impossible for me to prove that my blood got into the car when I was sleepwalking. Garrett said the fire at the impound lot. Kenneth, you sound like you're having a breakdown. I don't think you're in your right mind. The next one is R4QJ3Y9J. Do you want to guess what that one translates to? None of this explains how you posted a picture of Devin's dead fucking body rolled up in class. That wasn't me! I didn't even have access to it! was posted from your fucking IP address. Garrett could have spoofed it to make a proxy of my geolocation. He's setting me up. Devin told him to. She wanted to disappear from her life, from her mother. She ran away with Damien. And she's using Garrett to frame me for her murder. A murder that didn't even happen. Garrett is the one who burned down the impound lot. He's the reason I'm in jail right now. No, you're the reason you're in jail right now because your blood was found in Devin's vehicle because the police have good reason to believe that not only was this entire podcast a fucking sham, but you murdered her. You killed an innocent woman, and you know what? I believe them. I'm not going to take your calls anymore. Goodbye, Kenneth. Jessica, wait. You have to help me fight this. For now, I've come to the end of the road. The police will continue to make their case against Kenneth to search for evidence and hopefully find Devin's body. There's nothing more I can do, and honestly, I don't want this podcast to continue. I even considered taking the entire podcast off the air, but I think our listeners deserve to hear some kind of closure. Kenneth took us all for a ride. It's pretty obvious what happened. Kenneth came home from his rejection over his failure to secure an interview in the Kelsey Barrett case. He went to eat at the Cheesecake Factory, and that's when he ran into Devin. He was reminded about how Devin rejected him back in high school, and suddenly, he got a sick and twisted idea. Somehow, he convinced Devin to meet him up at Boiling Springs, and then he killed her. Wrapped her body in plastic, even took a photo for some disgusting reason. Maybe to stir up more media attention for the podcast. The whole thing was orchestrated just so he had something to make a podcast about. To reach some kind of true crime fame and glory. He never thought he would get caught. He knew Devin had a stalker who would take most of the blame. I'm so angry and ashamed to have participated in this farce. I apologize to Devin Riesling's family. I should have never participated in this podcast at all. So for the last time... I'm signing off. This episode was produced by Gina Harris, Spencer Hudson, and Danielle Choda. I'm Jessica O'Neill. Bye, everybody.